gospel lesson today comes from Mark's gospel, the ninth chapter, starting in verse 2. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and brought them to the top of a very high mountain where they were alone. He was transformed in front of them, and his clothes were amazingly bright, brighter than if they had been bleached white. Elijah and Moses appeared and were talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all of this by saying to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let's make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't know how to respond, for the three of them were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice spoke from the cloud, This is my son whom I dearly love. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them not to tell anyone what they had seen until after the human one had risen from the dead. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, growing up, I had very, very little experience or exposure to what we would call the Christian year. It wasn't something that my church did. I grew up Baptist. Not many Baptists celebrate the whole church year. Definitely don't have colors on like this during different seasons and things like that. We had Christmas and Easter, of course, but none of those other things and seasons of the world or of the church year, and, and, there, and there weren't colors like this to mark different seasons, and you might still say, what are those, or it just looks kind of nice, or something like that, or the preacher wants to have some, something flashy for a different season, or something like that. And I was really introduced to these ideas about the church year more while I was at Duke Divinity School, and mainly because Duke is part of the United Methodist tradition, and the United Methodists celebrate the church year, and there were all sorts of other denominations there. There were also people who didn't really celebrate the church year there, and I started to understand and grasp it, and what I liked the most is I started to understand the church year and make it part of who I was and, and how I understood God to work and at least understood the church, is that the church keeps time and marks time differently. And we do that through the church year. Our year doesn't start in the church on January 1st with resolutions. It starts with Advent and looking forward to the coming of Christ. That's the first day of the Christian year. Easter isn't just one big day where a lot of people show up at church. No, Easter is a 50-day season in the church year that has its finale with the bright red of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming and the birth of the church. What I found and what I find is that in the rhythms of the church year, it doesn't matter always how you feel upon coming to church. The church year allows you to enter into a different rhythm. And I feel a holiness in the rhythm of the church year. Our daily lives as a culture keep speeding up and speeding up. And there's been a ton written on this lately, even over the last 10 years. And when we join in the church year and in its rhythm, we are forced to enter its speed. 
It's sort of like the difference between watching an action movie and then turning on Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers moves at a different pace, right? Mr. Rogers, like, you pay attention to tying your shoes or feeding the fish, right? Paying attention to everything just a lot slower with Mr. Rogers. Maybe even holier. If you've tried to get kids who are addicted to the speed of Paw Patrol today to watch Mr. Rogers for a full episode, it's a rather big challenge to them because of the speed that it moves. Is there any point in the Bible where God said, thou must celebrate transfiguration on the Sunday before Lent? The answer is no. Lent's not in the Bible. None of this is, okay? The story of transfiguration's in the Bible. But there is not some holy writ that says that it has to happen on this day before the first Sunday of Lent. But that doesn't mean that it's not a helpful practice for us. So today, on this last Sunday of the season of Epiphany, we hear the story of Jesus' transfiguration. And until I started practicing the Christian year, I probably only read this story a handful of times. But now, well, it pops up every year for me on this day. And here is what strikes me about it. Transfiguration feels like it comes out of nowhere. What do I mean? It comes out of nowhere first liturgically. We had Epiphany Sunday at the beginning of this season. Epiphany Sunday marks the 12th day after Christmas. And the Magi came and visited Jesus. And right after Epiphany, we moved to the baptism of Jesus. And we recognized that then. And since then, we've been reading these passages together from 1 Corinthians. And those are from our lectionary. A lectionary is just a set of readings that many church traditions, including ours, read from. And we read from a three-year cycle, and so that's why on this time we read from, we, we read this story of transfiguration from Mark. This is the Mark year of that cycle of readings. And we've kind of settled in to a little bit of a rhythm. We know that Ash Wednesday is around the corner pretty early this year, and then boom, it hits. We read the story of transfiguration, and it's a mysterious story, is it not? I mean, Jesus is joined by Moses and Elijah, two prophets who have not been around for at least 800 years on the mountain. It's a powerful story. The cloud appears on the mountaintop, reminding us of the presence of God with Israel, and God speaks from this cloud. <coughs> it is a surprising story. Transfiguration has been celebrated in many different times of year liturgically. Officially, the Roman Catholic Church celebrates the Feast of the Transfiguration, not today, but on August 6th. But they also read this story on the second Sunday of Lent. And Protestants who follow our Revised Common Lectionary all read this story from the Gospel on the Sunday before Lent begins. Why? Well, I think it allows us to look backward and to look forward. Looking backward, we can remember that not long ago we celebrated Jesus' baptism. And what happened at the baptism of Jesus, right? All of a sudden, the Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, right? The heavens rip open, 
And what do we hear from the Father? This is my Son, whom I love. The same words that are said right here. Clearly, this is an important message for Jesus to hear, but it's also important for the disciples to hear and important for us to hear. And after those words, this is my Son, whom I love, at the transfiguration, the Father adds these words, listen to him. Transfiguration also allows us to look forward liturgically. What do I mean? Well, we're about to descend into the 40 days of Lent. And we follow this pattern of 40 days because Jesus was tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. And we join Jesus in this intentional period of prayer and fasting because it helps us to prepare for the journey to the cross. And sometimes Lent can feel like a really dark time. Honestly, when Lent starts in mid-February, when the days can be gray and the mornings are cold, it can feel depressing. But this out-of-nowhere transfiguration is like a glimpse of the resurrected Jesus for us. It's a reminder that Jesus will not stay dead. It's a reminder that Jesus will be glorified and that Lent will have an end point. So I'm grateful that the transfiguration surprises us every year. I like its mysteriousness and its glory. The transfiguration not only surprises us in the church year, it also comes out of nowhere biblically. I mean, Jesus often went up, went out to pray in seclusion in his ministry. So the fact that he took Peter, James, and John, kind of the inner three of his posse, right, to go on a mountain is not surprising to us reading the story. Jesus has just been teaching the disciples about how they must take up their cross and how God's kingdom will come in glory. But that was hardly a preparation for what they experienced on the mountain of transfiguration. This event surprises us because it's unlike any other event in Jesus' ministry. We are used to the healing stories by now. We're used to the parables and Jesus telling them. We're used to challenges to the religious leaders. We're even used to Jesus cryptically telling his disciples about his pending death and arrest. But there is no parallel for the transfiguration. In some ways, there are no words for it. And Jesus' appearance, right, is, is different all of a sudden. He is dazzling and shining. And it sounds like when Moses came down from Mount Sinai after being with God and his face was dazzling white. In fact, he had to cover it, right? so Because the people couldn't look in his face. And then in this story... Moses and Elijah are there talking. And let's talk about that for a second. And we understand Moses being there. Moses is obviously the major hero of the Jewish tradition. He led the people out of slavery into the, in, through the wilderness and up to the promised land. He brought the Ten Commandments and the laws of God. We get Moses, but we as Christians in 2024 are not sure what to do with Elijah. But Elijah holds a principal place in the Jewish tradition. Elijah's story is told in the end of 1 Kings and the beginning of 2 Kings with the same mysterious tone of the transfiguration. Elijah prophesied to King Ahab and also lived in the desert like John the Baptist did. He resurrected people and performed miracles. The Jewish tradition even has a chair for Elijah at every single circumcision ceremony. Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind to heaven, so he did not ever die. These two figures appearing out of nowhere, then, is quite shocking. 
So when Peter suggests they make tents, probably a better word than shrines that was read here for, for Moses and Elijah, Peter is simply saying, whoa, this is awesome. If you ask Peter to, to name three people living or dead who he could have dinner with, Peter would have said, well, that's easy. Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And here they are, right? They're all right there. So, of course, Peter wants to make this thing go on. Like, hey, you guys stay a while. Let's do this. And Mark tells us that Peter said this because he didn't know how to respond. Peter was surprised and taken aback, not because Peter was an idiot. It was because this was shocking and incredible. So then the cloud takes over, the cloud that symbolizes God's presence. And just like the cloud led the Israelites in the wilderness and dwelt over the tabernacle right in the middle of their camp, now on top of a mountain, just like Moses and Elijah were on top of mountains, God speaks from the cloud. And God speaks a word that says authority has passed from Moses and Elijah on to Jesus. Listen to him. And then Moses and Elijah are gone when the cloud lifts. Jesus is there alone. Can you imagine the hike down the mountain that day? I mean, I think sometimes we picture like, oh, they just went back into, you know, into their life or whatever like that. But this may have been a multi-day journey down whatever mountain they were on. It was at least many hours if you've ever hiked any form of a mountain before. And finally, Jesus speaks, finally, some point along the way. And tells them not to tell anyone about this until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. The disciples have heard this from Jesus before, to not tell anyone about what he's up to. But they still don't understand this rising from the dead business. And then from this mountaintop experience, Jesus goes right back into the ministry that we were accustomed to. The transfiguration appears as both a blip in the story and also a remarkable shift in the story. In Jesus' ministry, there is now before transfiguration time and after transfiguration time, especially for Peter, James, and John. So this transfiguration event appears to come out of nowhere. But what does it mean for us today? Why does it really matter for you? I think it's because God comes out of nowhere in your life. We all get to a point in life where we like our routines. Most of you are sitting in the same spots where you always sit. There aren't assigned seats here. There are no plaques on any of the pews that I can see that designate that thou shalt sit there. We especially don't like the front five rows in general, but we gravitate to the familiar places. We get comfortable with the familiar, or at least we get used to it. The transfiguration is jarring to us because it reminds us that we serve a living God. Do you believe that you serve a living God? And I don't say that like, so you can say it when you say the creed or something. I mean really, a God who is alive. Because when you do, God might show up in your life as a moment of transfiguration. It may not be as dramatic as clouds and fire, but you will know that God was present with you and you are forever changed from that moment on. 
And friends, we cannot manufacture this experience. There is no guide to ensure that the Holy Spirit shows up in a powerful way in your life today. Then we would be the ones controlling God. But I want us to notice how God shows up in this story. It is when Jesus gets away into solitude. Perhaps this is the best part of reading this story before Lent. God can and God will make God's very self known to you. It can be surprising and shocking ways like the transfiguration. If we don't believe that, if you don't think that God can show up in a powerful way in your life, then I don't know if you believe in the God of Scripture. But God will also make God's very self known to you as you set aside time in your ordinary day to enter into sacred time, to place ourselves in the rhythm of God's kingdom, to enter that pace. Can we be reminded that our lives are played out on an eternal stage every single day? And might we be open to an experience of God's incredible glory that might forever change us? Join me this Lent in a daily time to experience eternity within your day. I've invited you to use this Pray As You Go app. You'll see information about it in your bulletin as a way to have it undergird the rest of your entire day. That in the midst of all that is going on, whatever is going on in your life, that you might experience the presence of God and recognize that it is always there, even in the midst, even in the midst of the daily craziness. So that Jesus might show up for you in what seems like out of nowhere. Amen.